Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So much to get through, Glenn Hoddle. Born the 27th of uh, October 1957 in Hayes, London, England. Although you grew up in Harlow a few miles. Tell us about your about growing up, Glenn. Yeah, I was born in London but moved out when I was four. Dad, uh, dad was a very good amateur, Derek. My dad was a very good amateur player, playing at Uxbridge and Hillingdon, all around that area of Wembley. And then uh, Harlow was a new town being built and um, they asked him to go out there, got him a job, got him a house, a council house and... Uh, who said it wasn't professional in them days? No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we went out there, and that was where I was. I was brought up by a fantastic time in Harlow, and that's where I, you know, started to play my football over uh, the park and, and and anywhere else I could play. Really. I should make the point, I think, because I've got um, experience this. My, my I had members of my family moved to Stevenage, a very similar sort of town, yeah. built for the overspill from London. And compared to people like myself who grew up in inner, inner London, there were masses of green fields and areas, and I think that, and and they were lit as well. And I think kids had more of a chance of actually playing out playing football. Absolutely. I, I mean, I spent hours and hours in the Harlow Town Park. We actually lived backed onto it, so it was even better. Dad spent hours with me, and my uncle Dave, who actually had a spell with Spurs as a youngster, he was a goalkeeper. So um, in the summer holidays, it was just football. Well, every day with for me, it was football mo- morning, noon, and night. I was just crazy on football and. Uh, um, but I must admit, my dad put lots of hours. He would never coach me; he'd just be with me. It was it was marvelous the hours he put in for me. And then mum would have, you know, dinner waiting on the, and lunch waiting on the on the table. This is Derek, your dad, and your mum. Mm. I've got a name down here, but you call her Terry. <laughs> but she's actually Letitia, is she? <laughs> Letitia Teresa, um, and she hates it really. But <laughs> we know her as Terry. Yeah. And and you're one of two boys. So you're, you're a brother, mm. Carl, as well. Yeah, Carl had a career as well. Um, you know, he, he went to top. He was younger than you. Yeah, yeah, uh, nine years younger than me. Which, of yeah. course, by the time he was making his way into professional football, and we'll talk more about Carl later mm. on, if I may. Mm. Um, you were already in the England team. It must have been tra- tough for Carl. Uh, it was. It was very tough for him coming up. You imagine at school as well, in the playground, it was tough. And, and just being in the shadow a little bit, I did feel for him. But he took it. He, you know, he loved his football. He loved coming to watch us. You were very close as well. Oh, very close. You know, and he, he, he was a very good technical player himself, two-footed. And, um, you know, it was it was, a, it was a burden in some ways, but he never saw it as a burden. He in loved end, travelling he, and he, watching he us found, play. He found a kind of um, a, a niche for himself eventually. But yeah. Barnet, yeah? Yeah, he played professionally. He, had, yeah. he was apprentice at Tottenham, uh, went out of the game for a little while and then and then came back in at, uh, at Barnet. He was professional and Orient, late in Orient. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and, and he had a good career. What about school, Glenn? Did you, were you one of those that didn't bother? I must admit, it was, it was, too, it was too occupied with all sports, but mainly football. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I hate to think what I'd have done if... Uh, because in them days, I left in the April 
Uh, Spurs had offered me apprenticeship forms, but I, I left in the April. I didn't even take your exam. So, um, you know, I came close to losing my career as well, which we might touch on in a minute. Well, well tell me about it. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, you were always going to sign for Spurs. Were you, were you a Spurs fan as boy? Well, I was, I was a Spurs fan, yeah. I went to a reserve game when I was about nine uh, years of age and under floodlights, and that was it. Me and my mate Andrew Jesse and his dad took me from Harlow. It was only half an hour down the road, and that was it. I was a Spurs fan from then. Didn't know ever at that stage I was ever going to be able to play for them. That was a, just a dream. But um, And then, you know, I went to, to Tottenham when I was sort of 11 and a half, 12, and it was different in them days. You couldn't sign until you were 15. You couldn't really go and train until you were 14. So me and Andy King, do you remember Andy King? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were the young ones that would uh, go and train every Tuesday and Thursday night at White Hart Lane and I'd get on a train on my own at 11 and a half I don't think you'd do it nowadays no. and I'd rush down after school and, and for five years virtually every Tuesday and Thursday would go in that ball court and play against the wall Johnny Pratt was my coach then wow. and Tony Want they were two young players uh, young players at Tottenham doing their coaching badges and they coached us and uh, wonderful times they really were I mean you signed at, at, eventually at 16 with the great Bill Nicholson but you said you, mm. it never did, it almost didn't happen for you well I Two things, really. I, had a car, I tore my cartilage completely when I was just 14, uh, 14 and a half. I, I actually stepped up to play in the men's league. Um, I was playing for a team called Spinny Dynamos, but I was I felt that I needed to, to, to expand myself and it wouldn't be allowed today. But I played with my dad in, in the same team as my dad for a year. But it, just, just before that started, that season, I tore my cartilage and uh, my career nearly didn't happen. The other one that was really, really horrible, I was um, I was captain of the cricket team and um, I put myself in at silly mid-on and now I know why they call it silly mid-on. Yeah, and the captain never feels there. Oh, you, know. you put the junior muggins there. I know, I know. I learned the hard way, unfortunately. <laughs> what happened? And this uh, full toss came, all I remember to this day was this red blur and it hit me in the right eye, just under the eye. And I went back home and I looked like Elephant Man at the time and mum and dad weren't quite sure what to do. But Mr Godsman, bless him, he's passed over now, was, this, was uh, one of the head teachers there. Um, he, he came round to the house, he was at the match and he saved my career in many ways because he made me, forced me to go to the hospital and then they found that I had a hemorrhage behind the eye and I had to lay in bed for two weeks in hospital with my head just looking Look, staring up at the ceiling and hopefully praying to God that the, that the hemorrhage would clear, and it did. So I was very close to not um, to not having that career at all. Well, you did sign for Spurs, and you uh, quickly... Obviously, your uh, your skills were very quickly recognised. You made your debut um, uh, at 17 years and a bit. I'd like to move on, then, almost from your early days at Spurs. I know you had some troubles with Terry Neal. It wasn't quite going well for you. And then Keith Birkinshaw, who I understand you were at his wedding this very weekend. Keith's got married again. Yeah, on Friday. He's not a young man, is he? Bless him. Yeah, on Friday, we went to his wedding, yeah. and um, All the old gang? All the old gang was there, caught up with all the boys. Yeah, it was it was like a reunion, really. It was fabulous. That was a great day. And Keith looked in real good fettle. Good. Hasn't changed a, a tad, no. physically or, or, or emotionally. Emotionally or mentally, he was, he was just the same, and uh, and it was lovely to see him and all the guys. Yeah, it was great. Well, obviously, he, he comes in, and you're, you're, for a man who goes on to have a magnificent career in football, he didn't start so very well. I think the first season you were established in the team, Tottenham managed to get themselves relegated. We did, and that was that that hurt so much. You know, I remember Main Road. We lost five 0 and that was the day we went down. It was it was a struggle all season. But, um, and I, you know, it broke my heart. I can remember sitting in that dressing room, being a Spurs fan for so many years, 
uh, in tears, and uh, that had a scar. That scarred me deep inside. Well, we we but, shared that. I, I was crying mm, on the kip pack, so thanks yeah, very much, Glenn, for that yeah. memory. Yeah. Well, that's what football can do to you, player or fan, <laughs> and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? But no, that hurt me as a kid because of being an apprentice and coming through and having the, that feeling, and I felt, I felt I'd let the club down in many ways, you know. But you know what? With the success that came afterwards, to experience that loss first, it meant meant so, so much more when we did get success. And the following year, Spurs went back up. I mean, my mm. memories of that oh. are crystal clear. It was an extraordinary mm. year in the second in the old second division um, because there were no crowd restrictions in those days. And I can remember Spurs taking ten and 15,000 yeah. fans to away games. Oh. My other memory is, of course, you nearly blew it. We had to, uh, in the end, we were lucky to finish third Spurs. It was incredible. It was an incredible season. We were coasting. We were the best team it's about by Easter, but yeah, by yeah, we were the best team you, by with far. With all, all due respect, you were dominating the division. We you were. were too good. Yeah. We were. It was. Yeah. It was one of those scenarios. But suddenly, we just hit the, you know, that nervous sort of Easter time, and results. That's the key moment when, if you're going to achieve anything in in the league, you certainly got to hit good form. United have done that over the years, haven't yeah. they? Well, we we got the wobbles and. Um, and even I remember Keith Birkinshaw, it was either a magnificent bit of motivation or and I think Keith's such a genuine guy, it was a genuine scenario. I don't think he was playing tricks with our minds. He came in with three to go and he said, We've we've blown it. We've blown it. And he really felt we'd blown our chance of getting and we said, No, and we responded to that and uh, you know, we had sort of internal talks. I remember I was only a youngster at the yeah. time, but and uh, we said, we haven't, you know, and, and we, we just about crawled over the line. Southampton away, I've never played... The last the... game of the season, oh. um, it was a very, very hot day, you'll remember. Absolutely, down at the Dell, Dingy yeah. Dell, and, um, oh my word, it, it, I'd never played in such a nerve-wracking game of football. I never went in front of the ball, I stayed behind the ball all day. We needed a draw. Yeah. They'd Am already right won, thinking, they'd already got both promotion. Both sides, yeah, that's right, so a draw, a draw would suit both sides. Well, I'm they'd not... already got up, but I think... A draw would have, they would have gone up as champions, I think, because I remember both sets of crowd were, were having very, a fantastic very excited. time. Well, we, we all assumed that the players would have had a word with each other and a nice draw would be played out. The problem was, of course, ex-Arsenal midfielder Alan Ball was playing for, and you remember he hit the post in the first two minutes. I thought, hang on, surely the fix is in here, yeah, and, and no one passed him to pass the ball to him for the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> we weren't nervous on the terrace. We all assumed it was going to be a nil-nil draw, well, it, and it was. It was, it was, <laughs> but uh, it wasn't planned like that. I remember they had, uh, I think Ted McDonald. Dougal had a fantastic opportunity right near the end. Barry Danes came out and smothered it. And I remember Bully, I was only a youngster then, and I was running back from that, and he just tapped me up the backside and said, all right, son, you'll be fine, don't worry. <laughs> well, maybe he was giving you the message. That, that was good. Um, so back into the um, into the into the, the, the top division, and you really were establishing yourself as a player. Lots of goals, then lots of very spectacular goals. Mm. Um and we we can drive forward really. I suppose we're a kind of mid-table team, and then mm. we know that we know what happened. Ozzy Ardiles came, and Ricky Villa came, and things changed. But you were also establishing yourself in 1979-80. A, you were the young player of the year, um, and B, you made your England debut. Lots of people thought mm. it was long overdue. What do you remember about that first game against Bulgaria? Oh well, I remember preparing when uh, Ron Greenwood told me that I was playing on the Tuesday. Um, we were due to play on the Wednesday and just my luck, you know, it's a dream come true, isn't it? You've wanted to play for your country. Uh, the game gets postponed for fog at Wembley. I don't remember, remember this, go I on. I remember going on the pitch before and you couldn't see either goal from the halfway line. And I'm thinking, just my luck, what's going on? And uh, the game was cancelled and it was played on the Thursday and... Um, 
And maybe that was right for me. I would have perhaps had a nightmare on the Wednesday. Who knows? But sure. on the Thursday, it couldn't have gone any better. I scored a, a beautiful uh, right-footed sort of half-volley, top corner. It was, um, it, was, it, was, it was pretty much classic holder, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was a side foot. It wasn't me in step. And that was a technique that I'd sort of mastered from a young kid, really, with, with either foot. So it was something a bit special, but it was special inside as well. And I remember... Wembley was such a big place. I can't remember where. You know, I, I, I didn't know where to run once I scored. I was trying to look at people in the there? stand. Yeah, yeah. All, the, all, all my, my mum and dad were there. Everyone Brilliant. was there. So it was a wonderful occasion. And to win the game and and uh, and play well was uh, was what you want. I just I've just been listening actually to Andy Gray, one of your predecessors as the PFA Young Player of the Year, mm. um, talking about how sport, if you do it for a living, is a marvellous thing because you can share it with your family. Your family were there that day. Whereas if you're a businessman, you can hardly take them to the board meetings and all no. that. You know, there is a, something there is something special about oh, that. Oh, there isn't is there? absolutely. I mean, there's nothing like uh, you know your parents and, and brothers and sisters, cousins, and you know my uncle followed followed me all around all the country uh, with mum and dad as well, watching me, Uncle Dave, and um, and then his boy Mark. You know, it was it's just in the it's in the family, it was in the blood, and it was a wonderful thing to share. Uh, the ups and the downs, because they were at Main Road as well when the thing goes goes wrong for you. So, uh, yes. you know, you're living the dream, but you're also living a, a helter-skelter life and up yeah. and down. You keep mentioning that game at Main Road. I do now remember it was 5-0, and if it mm. wasn't for Pat Jennings, it might have been 15, as I recall. <laughs> um, the, the following season, though, 1981, Spurs have really locked together a very good team. Mm. Um, yourself and, and uh, you know, other players in the team, you can help me up front. Steve, Steve Archibald and Garth Crooks were a fantastic combination. Well, if you remember, we we got back up and um, Ozzy and Ricky joined us, but we, it didn't go. Every, it wasn't all hunky dory from you the first. Well, you know, well. the first game at White Hart Lane, we lost four one to Villa at home with a ticker tape all coming out, and we thought, well, that's you know, we've got two World Cup winners. That's going to be enough, surely. Yeah. And bang, you know, we lost four nil. We'd lost uh, heavily at Liverpool seven seven. seven. Yeah. And um, you know, there was a lot of things that Ozzy and Ricky needed time to adjust off the pitch and with their families and on the pitch. I mean, I instantly knew that I was, you know, it was wonderful to have two players on a similar wavelength to myself where we could play one-twos, read off each, play off each other. But we were missing, I mean, we had good players, don't get me wrong, you know, no disrespect to players that we had at the team up front, but we were missing, the part that we were missing was was two strikers or a striker that could put the ball in the back of the net and a little bit of pace, you know, that zip. And Keith, to be fair to him, Keith and his staff just in, in 80, 81, just started to put that the end of that jigsaw together. We had a solid back four. Stevie Perriman went moved into right back position. Maxi Miller and, and Graham Roberts. Chrissy Uton, who was fast, brilliant you know, football, yeah. yeah. And 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 you know it was the strike and, and Archie Ball and Crooks come and that was it. I Should mean, I get Tony Galvin in any of these Tony teams. Galvin was fantastic. Yeah. He worked so hard up and down. He's the, the one who always gets missed out and people yeah. rattling on about that midfield. Yeah. Galvin was fantastic. I mean, Tony player. was a, 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 a completely different player to 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 Ricky Ozzy no, and myself. And and our balance, we had to. We're all offensive minded players, but we had to work really hard as a team as a unit to work to win the ball back together and that's what we were prepared to do and once we did that our, our skills and our techniques then allowed us to go and play and hurt teams but the jigsaw was finished off Crooks his pace Archibald's sniff for a goal he just was a goal scorer born goal scorer both had pace it was fabulous for me because I was frustrated. I knew I could put balls on the back of people, the back four, and over people's head and drop it on there. That was my art. I felt that was Not my a long real... ball, a long pass. Well, a long pass or even a short pass, even a yeah. little dinky one. In the cup final, there was a little spin back, you know, with the, with the second goal. When, uh... Like a snooker shot. Yeah, so uh, it was frustrating that I couldn't play them. But... And then suddenly these two guys wanted to spin and get in behind. 
and they just they used to enjoy the fact that I could put them in there and give them the chances. So they'd do that all day long. So and and, and what with Ozzy and Ricky then settling down a little bit, it took a bit of time. That eighty one team. Uh, an 82 team w- was was just a joy to play and it was wonderful well of course it's first fruition and I guess what for everybody not just uh, supporters of Tottenham it's fruition was that famous 1981 FA Cup final the first game um, uh, your free kick was deflected in by Tommy Hutchison yeah. but it's the replay that everyone remembers and to help us try and recall that amazing game of football I'd like to say we're joined by your partner in crime in midfield the great no other word will do uh, Aussie our dealers hello Aussie yeah, hello, good good afternoon and good afternoon to Glenn as well. Hi, you're Oz. Hi, okay? Yeah, I'm fine, you're, mate. I have to say you have a very good memory. <laughs> he's actually written it down, Ozzy. He's got notes yeah, in front of him. I, I'm sure he might have a book or something there. He remembers everything, the 7-0, 4-1, etc., etc. Yes, research, good research, Oz. That's yes, what it is, yes, mate. Yes. Yeah. Ozzy, yeah. talk to us about that team of 1981-82, but particularly 81 and that cup final replay that everybody remembers so clearly. Funny enough, Ricky Bina is right now next to me because he's visiting me. So, um, yeah, we were talking a lot about the, the wonderful years. And we played yesterday as well, Glenn in St. Cove, and we played with the legend boys. So, uh, yeah, it's, it has been brilliant for him to come and... And we are having a, such a good time. And we are talking, of course, about 1980, 91, and, and so on. Like Len said, it took a little bit of time for the team to to play in the same way as Len, I will say. And, yeah. when, we, and when we did, it was, it was a wonder, wonderful to watch and very effective as well. Ozzy, you, you, um, you won a World Cup winner's medal. Um, you're one of the best players ever to have played in this country. Can you try and give us an honest assessment of how good Glenn Hoddle was? It was a fantastic, well, what is the word to, to say, Glenn? Wonderful, fantastic. It was an absolute pleasure to play with him. Um, if anything, Glenn was born in the wrong time, and maybe the wrong country as well, because everything, everything at the time, England was playing very, very long ball kind of football. That's of course Glenn can do that as well, but Glenn needed a little bit more of uh, he wants he has to have the ball more time and and he, they ask all the time when he wants he went to play for England, they ask him to do certain things that he was not particularly mm. well equip, equipped to do. A uh, lot of defending, tackling and so on. I have to say that Glenn was a very, very good defender as well. Of course you are not going to be seeing him making tackle because that was not his style, but every time I I mean our our midfield was very very offensive uh, looking, mm-hmm. but uh, I was I was sitting in the right, in the middle normally, and I knew that Glenn was going to be in the right, and he would be in the right position. So uh, yeah, Ozzy, you're absolutely spot on, Ozzy. You and Ricky were heaven sent. You know, it was so frustrating before you come. You know, you're in Argentina, and I was so <laughs> frustrated as a player. And uh, I remember that first game, even at pre-season down out in Antwerp in Belgium, a pre-season game when playing mm. with the guys, with you know, in the pre-season. It was just evident, you know, it was lovely to just to play with two guys that were on the same wavelength and, and, and were technically good. And I had so much respect for them. And I just learned so much very quickly. And they brought me on as a player incredibly over two seasons. You know, it was worth 10 seasons. And uh, to be able to play with, you know, with Ozzy, Ozzy, it was, it was like a 
chess player on a football pitch, Aussie. Well, he, he is was, a chess player, isn't he? He was so astute. He was so astute. He could read the game so, so well. And, of... and he refereed the game as well. He was busy. <laughs> and he was the fastest player I think I've ever known on a football pitch. Over five or six yards. He was like a greyhound. And, and he'd come from nowhere, you know, and, and he'd, he'd pinch the ball off the opponent and we'd be on the attack. Uh, and and the, his vision and, and Ricky as well. Ricky was a wonderfully technically uh, astute player. He really was. I mean, the goal in the semi-final. That hybrid, hybrid replay. Left foot top corner. And then and then the cup final, which everyone knows, you know. Um, I still think he lost control of it at the end of that game <laughs> myself. I do. He was, uh, it, it was wonderful times. And, uh, and, then, and, and it wasn't just the things that we, we did as a team winning. It was the way that we played, which was more important. Listen, I, Aussie, can, so... I, I, I can put Rick in the phone right now, and you can you can ask him this question. Uh, <laughs> uh, listen, uh, unfortunately, such is the, the the shape of this program. I've got to let you go now. I've got to say <laughs> thank you so much indeed, okay. and, and say hello to Ricky Beer as well. I, I will. It's been a pleasure. Glenn, see you soon. Hi, Aussie. Say big Bob. thanks, thanks, Oz, and big guy to uh, Ricky as well. I will. I will. I will. Cheers, Cheers. mate. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Listen, that was just a taste of that famous FA Cup final in 1981. And, uh, well, having tasted that FA Cup success, Spurs returned to Wembley in both domestic, competi- both domestic competitions the following season and, of course, have success in Europe in uh, 1984. Having, having won that, the, the Cup in 1981, the following year was an extraordinary year for Tottenham mm. when uh, they were going for one, two, three, four separate trophies. We were, absolutely. and um, Incredible year. It was an incredible year. Again, we played some fascinating, wonderful football. Uh, we had the confidence of, of the 81 win behind us. And we looked as if, you know, we could have won that league that year. It, it was our own fault. It was totally down to our own selves. It was between us and Everton. We had games in hand and um, we had a home game against Everton. And that was the key. Oh, and, well, we just had him in the room, haven't yeah, we? We just yeah. had Andy Gray coming to say hello to you. Mm. Um, I can remember it as clear as day. That, that was the critical game. I think they won 2-1. Two, two, no, two, one. Two, one. And Andy got one, at least one diving header, yeah. possibly two. Oh. Uh, and uh, I remember uh, Neville Southall having an absolute blinding game yeah. as well. And whatever we hit at Again, him, as a previous guest on this show, he's, he's only too happy to tell you how brilliantly he played that Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. He was a great goalkeeper. but uh, And they were a very good side, Everton. But, you know, it was in our own hands. It was our own fault. So we, we let that one slip and it was awful. I think there was a problem for us where in the middle of that season, I think there was a, a poor winter. We missed about four weeks in one chunk when we were flying. And in many ways... That might have had a big contribution. Why? But we we thought well battle on, and uh, so we we go to the League Cup final. We're at we're, Wembley against Liverpool. We're against Liverpool. We're two minutes from winning, and uh, we give a goal away in the last minutes. Uh, great goal, but I think it was from Whelan. Beautiful goal, and um, we went into extra yeah, time. Spurs, Spurs take the lead yeah. very early on with Steve Archibald. Steve Archie uh, scored, yeah. then, then, as you say, Ronnie Whelan equalised with three minutes to go. Mm. Um, I don't think, um, from my recollection of the game at Wembley, um, I think once that had gone in, I think the extra time was dominated by Liverpool, if, it, if we're truthful. It was, yeah. That, I mean, you could. it was like uh, we were losing. It was like a bar of soap under the, under the water. The more we were trying to grasp at it, it, we were losing it. It was slipping away from us. And you sensed that as much as you were fighting it mentally, and they won 3-1 in the end. But, you know, two minutes away from winning it, you know, there's all sorts of scenarios. If we'd have only done this, only done that. So that was the first thing in the season that slipped away from us. And uh, But we were still in the FA Cup, which and, had won. And the, FA, and the European Cup Winners Cup, which was then, of course, a very, very prestigious yeah. competition. Yes, it was. Yeah. Pro- previous winners, of course, back mm. in the day. 
Um, and again, good progress, brilliant well, football right if, through to... Uh, well, you can tell me about the progress. It, 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 we had great football. We looked as if we we had the confidence that, you know, it was, we were back in Europe and it was uh, we had the confidence. We were, we were a European-style team. We played, you know, European football. And uh, we, we looked really... The, the, the one thing that, that probably hurt us was, was we got Barcelona in the semi-final and the first leg at White Hart Lane. It probably didn't help us. They had about six or seven players out. You remember they put a, they put a bunch of like hackett men in there. I think we should Hatchet make the point that the Barcelona Football Club of then was very different Oof. from Barcelona Football Club of now. They were, of course, a huge club, big crowds mm. and all the rest of it. But their team was essentially tough well, um, it, it, and rough, and uh, it was extraordinary. Two, there were two very violent games, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I mean, particularly at White Hart Lane, as I say. I mean, that wasn't their philosophy at the time, but they actually saw their only way getting through was they had these six players out, I think it was, and they put a, a really strong physical side. And, and we got no protection from the referee. I remember. Well, I can you know, quote you directly. Was, they were like, <laughs> Graham <laughs> Roberts. Animals, Graham Roberts mm. says it was the most violent game he ever played in. Did so he? when Graham thinks it's, it's a dirty game, well, you, you, yeah, you know what's if going Robo on. says that, then it is. Believe me. But that that was that was a one-all draw we had there, and then we went away uh, in the new camp, which was a fantastic experience. And uh, Simerson scored. He was a, he was their foreign player at the time, very good player, and uh, we lost one nil there. So. Am I confusing though? Did, did Mark Falco have a have a perfectly good goal chalked off as well, or am I confusing that with another match? You're confusing that. Oh, right. Real Madrid. That, that was, was Madrid, Real Madrid. Was it? Okay. Yeah, and we should have won that. Yeah, that was in the quarters uh, the following year. Okay, yeah. well, so you've managed to blow three trophies, Glenn, which thank goodness, <laughs> which thank goodness means that the that wonderful team of 1982 with yourself and our dealer. Well, we all know that there was the problems with the Falklands as well, but mm. with that wonderful team, it would have gone unfulfilled if we hadn't um, had the 1982 FA Cup final against Queens Park Rangers. Mm. And in many ways, I'll say this now: the two games again, it went to a replay compared to what happened. Um, in 1981 were an anti-climax weren't they they yeah. weren't great games of football no they weren't we, we didn't play at our best anywhere near our best um, I, I managed to get the score I remember scoring in the first game um, thinking oh you know perhaps this is it lovely I've, I've, I've done you know the winner in an FA Cup final for my beloved Spurs and uh, Terry Fennick comes up with an equaliser right at the end yeah I mean QPR were a, a, not a great team at the time and it goes to a replay I mean I'm very sad to say this of course the only FA Cup uh, Wembley contested in front of a non-full house the, that replay didn't quite fill the house um, I, don't, I made my contribution I went there <laughs> so then you did score the winner in a cup final I did get there in the end yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it took a week uh, to do yeah I remember I remember it was so early in the game I, I, I don't six think minutes I'd, I think I think I'd only had a couple of uh, touches of the ball and uh, you know it was so early and I just wanted to get that ball and I think on television they nearly miss it because uh, you know I just you know goalies try and delay you yeah a taker wants it, you know, you want to get it done as okay. soon as possible. Your heart's pounding a bit. And uh, I just determined to stick it in the bottom corner as firm as I could. And uh, fortunately, uh, it, it went in, yeah. Uh, it, Lovely it, feeling, though. Well, of course, yeah. And um, we should make the point that from the first match to your first goal, did you hear John Motson there twice? He won it with he won the tackle <laughs> and shot the goal. Um, attention, England managers, who thought that was the reason why you couldn't play Glenn Hoddle in England's midfield. Um your your client. I mean, by this time, we'll talk about your England career. You're you're you're, you're clearly established as one of the best players in, in the country. Arguably, one of the best players in Europe at that time. And uh, Spurs' team goes on, Glenn, to have another um, fantastic run in 1984 UEFA Cup. And indeed, they go on to win the final mm. against Anderlecht. 
you missed the final through injury, you had an Achilles injury, but during that run, it was a moment when I think even the world press starts to think, oh, wow, wow, this boy can really play. Feyenoord, mm. who Spurs played in one of the early rounds, had an ageing, but still, obviously, the man was a genius, <laughs> Johan Cruyff. Mm. And I don't know whether you deliberately did it. I mean, you're going to tell, surely you didn't, but um, there were times when you were making him look like, look like what he was, a, a ghost to his former self, and people really took attention to that, didn't they? Yeah, I, th- I think what it was pre-game, it was anything I sort of... I think it was pre-game. Pre-game, he, he he came out. He was obviously trying to. He saw that he felt probably try and put me off, but he came out and said that he was going to man for man mark me, and he was going to you know keep, if we stopped uh, Hoddle from playing, then we've sure. got a great chance. We'll get through, and that all that did is just make me uh, you know spark me up even more. And uh, it was one of those nights. I think you know if anyone says to me what nights are or what, what thinking back in your career, that is a highlight. You know I think within. 35 minutes or so we were four up and I think I created the four goals and uh, it was one of my best player performances no, you were, you were, I, I, I can yeah. say it you were brilliant on the mm. night I mean uh, and I would say it if you weren't here obviously you were mm. brilliant on the night and it, it was amazing how much did it hurt I mean that final at White Hart Lane um, when yeah. Spurs um, equalised late through Graham Roberts against a brilliant Anderlecht team yeah, they were uh, a good team a weren't they totally mm. brilliant football mm. team I mean uh, we'll go through the names if you want but they were just an excellent excellent team and Tony Parks makes that save. Every time I still see him around the Spurs training mm. ground, my heart leaps a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, Ray Clements missed the game, of course, and yourself. Well, how bad was it? How, how did you feel when you missed that, that European well, triumph? What it, what it was, it was an extra uh, heartbreak in many ways because I'd had Achilles operation and I was coming back and that was the, the aim, was to try and get back for the final. And I took a risk, really. It was a risk on my career, but it was one worth taking. And uh, unfortunately, it br- I broke down about three weeks before the match, uh, two, two and a bit weeks before, and, and I knew I wasn't going to make it soon. That was, you know, it was devastating. It really was. But you have to uh, then pick yourself up. You know, the club had done a fantastic thing to get into the final. The lads had worked so hard. Mickey Hazard came in uh, and done a great job. There was, uh, I mean, in that final, people forget uh, Clem didn't play. No. Stevie Perriman didn't play. I don't think Aussie played, and myself. And 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 be fair, the 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 team was absolutely magnificent. In in Aussie was sub came on the last yeah, few minutes. Yeah, that's right. So you, you those you know those four players that that for yeah. those sort of four or five years have been the main sort of spine of the team, were out. And credit to you know your Gary Stevens and and people like Robbo who obviously had a, a blinder on the night. I remember Mickey Hazard, all those players deserve a, and Tony Parks deserve a hell of a lot of credit to come in. And that just shows you that you know even in then days it was a squad it was a squad uh, game then and and, and Steve Perry was suspended as well. The that's whole, right. The whole it, team was play. in bits. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and they were favourites in many ways and it was a it was a wonderful occasion for the club and uh, you know it was, it, well, that was difficult for me individually but as a Spurs fan and a Spurs player it was a wonderful night and, and one that I'd always remember Quality sleep is essential that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Later in your Spurs career, you had a, a late. The team had a late flourish, if you like, under David Pleat, mm. where I think, um, interestingly, for yourself as a coach, as what as we later discovered, he 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 by his own admission on this very program, he tripped over the mm. uh, way of playing with five in midfield. Boy, did he have five good midfield players there. To be fair to him, um, and Clive Allen up front, and Spurs had, had a a brilliant team, and again were fighting for all the trophies in 1987. Mm. Um, only this time, a uh, rather less. Happy ending. Yeah, it was. Yeah, no. We again, we 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 did trip over it. It was uh, over at Oxford. I remember it was a cup game, and uh, we were trying to find out the best way of getting the best the results. weren't going too well, and uh, I think uh, David sort of almost got to the stage where he went, "All right, I'm going to throw the balls up in the air here," and he almost give us an opportunity to say, "How do you think?" You know the team should the shape should be. Then, how do you think you're going to get the best out of yourselves? And in the end, they put me just behind uh, Clive Allen. Like a lot of teams play now, nobody yeah. played it then, and uh, I think it was Aussie and uh, Paul Allen, Chrissy Waddle and, and Stevie Hodge, and we looked, you know, we, we just went. He said, "Go out and play." He said, "Just go out and play. We'll keep the back four. You you go out and play and sort it out. You're, you're you're decent players. You're good players. Go and sort that system out." And we went, "Wow, that's a bit of a risk, but let's go and do it." And we won, I think, four two. I mean, the early stages of the game weren't going too well. We had to sort of fathom it out a little bit, obviously, but it was incredible. Uh, we really played well in the second half. I think it was four two. We won, and then we kept that system. And I tell you, we had the right players to play it in the right system and, and the right striker. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, Clive scored forty nine. Was it? There was a debate whether it was fifty or not. Forty nine goals in one season on them pitches, you oh, know, uh, incredible. I, I, I'll try and jog your memory. I remember mm. a league game against Norwich at White. Hart Lane, where in in the late in the late winter, early spring, the pitch was like a quagmire, and mm. after a, after seventy minutes, it was nil nil. By the end of it, he scored a hat trick mm. for all the you Aussie and um, Chris Waddle, all the rest of it. I think uh, he, as the spear point of that team, deserves special mention because he got every kind of goal imaginable. He was he was just a born finisher, left foot, right foot. He knew how to move. He was a natural finisher. It, the movements he had in the penalty area, he wasn't the greatest at holding the ball up, but we didn't need him to hold the ball up because we had enough technical players in a system that would play short and would keep the ball. We wanted him in that box, and my word, you know, the amount of chances we created, but he put them away. You know, another striker maybe would have created all them chances for him, but they would wouldn't have put them away but Clive you knew if you give him half a chance he would put the ball in the back of the net he was so lethal he really was you can jog my memory then was the 87 cup final your last game for Spurs it was that was a it was a sad way for me to to, to go you, out what are your a lovely way in many ways but yeah. um, what are your recollections of that day against Coventry well it was it was a strange one it was uh Spurs were, so, were real favorites though. they were and yeah. we started well we started well we got um we got ahead we scored, I think Clive scored, and uh, you know, I think that was maybe a problem in many ways. I think if we'd have gone down early in the game, that would have 
would have made us really think, right, we've got to earn our spurs here. We've got to really work hard and, 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 and shift through the gears. But I think the fact that we scored maybe didn't help us in many ways. And, and Coventry had a good side and they had a lot of heart and a lot of good players and a lot of belief in their camp that they could overturn us like any team would you know, in the final. Um, and it just didn't function. And I think it sums it up that the, the, the 3-2 win, the, you know, it was an own goal that uh, Mabsy couldn't add, you know, it just happens in football. He's come off the end of his toe. It's looped over the top. Couldn't have gone over the top of it. It goes in the net. Ray Clem couldn't do a thing about it. And uh, it was near the end of the game and we couldn't recover ourselves from there. And uh, it was a lovely way in many ways to go as my last game cup final. But obviously it would have been nice to have had a winner's medal again. Sure. Um, but walking off, waving to the fans, it was a difficult one for me it really was because I'd spent so many years you know as a kid and 13 years as a pro there it was a part you know, they were a part of my life in many ways and it was a it was a hard goodbye if you like uh, under the circumstances of losing as well which begs the question why did you go to Monaco then well it's it an was, unusual move then well it was it was I was due to go to Paris Saint-Germain with um, Gerard Houllier well you know yeah I'd, I'd looked at houses for my kid my, my two girls didn't have my son at the time but my two girls were only young five and three um my first wife Anne, we'd looked at you know houses over there. We'd looked at schools. It looked as if we were going over there. And the last, the very last minute, Arsene Wenger, who took over from Monaco, who? yeah, at the time, who? <laughs> That's what I said then. You know, it was who, and um, he'd just taken over Monaco. He saw the system that was very similar to what David Platt. Uh, David Platt, sorry, uh, was playing at Tottenham. So he looked at my position and he said. He's 29, he's obviously experienced. Yeah, he's a goal scorer as well. Bang, let's go and get him. And it threw me. It really did throw me. At the last minute, it was, do I go there? Mark Haightley was phoning me sort of every hour because he'd just signed to go yeah. down there as well. And there was only two foreigners you could have in the team. And I went down and, and spoke to, to Arsene very quickly. What did you make of Arsene Wenger? Yeah, he was a very astute man. Very astute man. Great to work with. I'm, you know, I chose the right club in the end. I had to phone Gerard up and exp that was a bit of an awkward phone call. But uh, I made a decision. It was a career decision. So I had to do what I had to do. And um, Arsene was wonderful to work with. He really was. Very scientific in his approach. Nothing like we'd had at Tottenham. I mean, I was at a great club at Tottenham. But in those days, the English game, coaching-wise, and preparation, perhaps, and and, uh, uh, and our post-match was motorways behind. It really was. I had my eyes open. The first session Mark and myself had at Monaco, after the session, me and Mark went to walk off and he said, no, no, Glenn, we warm down now. And Glenn, it was, what's Glenn, a warm down? You know? John Aldridge, um, in that chair a few weeks ago, told me, and I made him reiterate it because I thought he was lying, mm. that in 1990, when Liverpool won, the, Liverpool won the last of their league titles, they did not have a physiotherapist at the no, club. No, I, I, don't, I don't doubt it. Extraordinary. There was no such thing as a masseur. You'd had no massage, massage after a match. And in that way, sessions. whatever people say about Arsenal not winning the uh, trophies in the last uh, is it eight years now, mm. um, Wenger changed English football completely, didn't he? His philosophy did, and he's... Uh, I mean, uh, David... Dean, I was England manager. I mean, Spurs fans are going to hate me for this, and um, I've gone on record and said it before, but David Dean, don't, I was England don't manager. Don't repeat it, Glenn. <laughs> and... Uh, David was phoning me morning, noon and night, it seemed, at, some, at one stage. And it was on, he said he fancied Arsene to come as Arsenal manager. He obviously knew I'd worked with him. And he was on the you know, he was on the committee at that time with England. And I, I said to him, David, go and get him. He'll be successful. He was brilliant. He, he'll bring a completely different philosophy to your club. And he did. And, uh, you know, look at Tony Adams, for instance. He changed his body position, uh, 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 definition, he, 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 stretching. He spent, we spent 45 minutes... 
after the warm down, stretching, just stretching and doing core work. Me and Mark looked at it, we'd never heard of that before, you know, it was something in England we'd never done. And that was that was the, the in-depth, uh, you know, that, that, that uh, Arsene put into his teams. And you were successful at Monaco. <laughs> Great. I mean, we had a lovely team. We had a fabulous team. We had um, Ettery in goal, who's the French goalkeeper. Battiston just joined that that year, the sweeper. He played as a lovely sweeper. What a great guy and a good player he was. Amaros was a wonderful Brilliant left player. back. Beautiful, two-footed yeah. left left back. More right-footed maybe than left. Um, Luke Sonner. And we had four Fenner Mark up front, and I played in the pocket. And... Um, Wonderful. We won the championship first year and then, you know, European Cup the following year. George Weir joined us. Unbelievable. You played with George Weir. I've forgotten. I mean, George, I mean, that was amazing. George Weir. Uh, We arrived one day, Mark and I, up at La Turbie, which is in the mountain, the most idyllic training ground you'd ever have in your life. And there was a guy there in a big robe and a pair of sandals with a, 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 a brown paper bag under his arm. And it was, it was his presence about him. And I thought, who's this guy? And I said, bonjour. And he said, bonjour. And we walked in. And five minutes later, Arsene brought him in and said, this is George. He speaks English. Uh, and he got changed in between me and Mark. He obviously put him in our corner. Mm-hmm. And um, the first session, we went out and we had a practice match. So again. you didn't know who he was didn't at this stage? I didn't have a clue. I thought he'd come off the beach if, right. I, was, if I was honest. <laughs> right. And um, he, came, he came and played this game. At Ten minutes into the game, first team against the reserves, he was in the reserves. He hadn't touched the ball. Suddenly, he got the ball out on the right wing. He done that famous dummy where he goes to hit it. We all seen it. And Amaros pushes went, it once. Further. Amaros, who was a great player, experience. He went out for an ice cream. He was just. <laughs> he beat him. He went past a couple of more, and he smashed the ball against the bar. And I looked up at Mark Haler. So you got a bit of work here to stay in the team. And the, the rest told itself tell us the story about the young Emmanuel Petit you were telling me earlier on off air well that was another thing and you know which which I think maybe in this country I wouldn't have liked to have done it when I was 17 myself but um in France they had to do national service for a year and I thought it done them the world of good actually and I think our generation of kids you know it would really have worked certainly for would have done the world of good for me yeah I know. <laughs> but one day I said to Arsene because Manu was 17 he was played left back and uh, he made his debut and he was a terrific player you could see then beautiful left foot playing left back I said oh what a good player we've got here Arsene and he said yeah he's, he's going to do really well anyway I said um Come back on the Monday morning after the game. I said, where's Manu? Is he injured? He said, no, he's, he's over there, Glenn. And I said, where? He had the longest hair yeah, he played on the, on the Sunday. He had the longest hair ever. He came back on the Tuesday and I couldn't recognise him. He had, he'd had his all golden locks all shaved yeah. off. He was totally bald. And then he explained to me, no, they have to go in and have a year in the army and he's released uh, later on in the week to play his football still. And uh, you could see the lad had the discipline and it helped him as a footballer without any shadow of a doubt. And now we cannot ignore one particular moment of your career, the time in 1987 when you sang on a proper pop record. Not a club song, not an England anthem, but a proper, full-on, copper-bottomed pop record complete with top-of-the-pops performances. I have to ask, Glenn, Diamond Lights, what on earth were you thinking? The most frightening thing I've ever done in my life was live top of the pops me and Chris <laughs> honestly going out at Wembley with 100,000 or taking penalties was was, uh, was was so easy compared to that we were scared stiff and we were thinking exactly that at that time where how on earth have we got ourselves into this <laughs> how did it come to this how, but, where uh, Chris got that jacket as well is another question well yeah, yeah. So what was behind the record Glenn we've got well, it just was, about a minute and a half to tell well me. yeah it's, it's a bit of a long story but I'll try and cut it short we had a just talk quicker uh, yeah we had a sponsored car and um his name was Pat Mitchell and uh, anyway he said to us you know 
we had to go to a do up in the Coventry after a match and we went there he got us on stage singing verse basically afterwards he said oh you sounded really great he was a good liar <laughs> and uh, and uh, he said I know somebody uh, uh, Bob Pusey his name was who's who's a writer I think we should do a song and we just sort of you know, clipped him around the ear and said, "No, don't be stupid." But anyway, he came back with this uh, this record, and they he kept badgering us. Chris and I said, "No, we don't want to do it." And in the end, I said, "Well, he badgered us so much." He had so, and I said, "Come on, he was a real cockney chap. He was a lovely, lovely guy, Pat is." And um, I said, "No, come on, let's do it." Then, and I, I said, "I'll give mine to charity or whatever." And and in the end, we they did it, and we did a video, and I said, "Oh my word, what have we got ourselves into?" But then that, it got in the charts. It got in the charts, and then you know, I think it was number ten or something like that. But great experience. It was it was a wonderful. Can you remember experience. who else was on that edition of Top of the Pops? What other groups were on? Yeah, uh, we followed, and this was more embarrassing than anything. We followed Five Star. And remember Five Star? They yeah, were all course. in sync, weren't they? They were spinning around, and then I think it was Kid Jensen or someone. He said, and that was Five Star, and now over to Chris and Glenn. And we're on the other side of the studio, absolutely <laughs> petrified. Oh, my word. And, and it was great while we did it and afterwards, but the lead-up all through the day. And the funny thing about it, Dan, is we'd, we'd done the record six or seven weeks before. We'd forgot the lyrics. Of course, yeah. So the, you're, not, you're not performers, I, I are said you? To the, I said to the guy, you must get the tape. It was a tape at the time, a, a CD in the car when they pick us up because we, we from from Chesant Training Ground to, to Shepherd's Bush all we did is sing in the back of the car to, to get the lyrics right and just to sort of try and get it right what because it, it was live as well you know so what do the other Spurs players make of all this Glenn? Oh they give us all mighty stick you can imagine you know but uh, but at the time you know we've, we've been on top of the box quite a few times with, with the cup final songs yeah of course so uh, you know they, they were a little bit envious I think deep down but they give us some stick as you would imagine well Glenn I think your life where you, when you look back on your life you'll say it was richer for having had that experience Absolutely. whatever about the sound that recorded my headphones just now well, well, well the t-shirt and uh, you can't say you know everyone's not had a top 10 uh, hit so Glenn we left you um, uh, enjoying well for the diamond lights debacle we left you enjoying your time at Monaco you then came back to this country um, and it had a, a spell which you kind of transitioned from playing into management yeah. uh, particularly Swindon Town that's an interesting time in your, in your life because uh, there you you played as a sweeper mm. you managed the club you saved them from relegation you got from, <laughs> it was a great time at Swindon I think for you it was absolutely and you played on a unique system in yeah, football at the time it was, it was wonderful it really was you really liked it when did you? Yeah, I loved it, every minute of it. And the, the challenge that it was, I was cutting my teeth as a manager, your first job. You learn so much. You learn so, so much in that sort of early period of your management uh, years. And, um, you know, uh, I came back from Monaco, had a knee problem, um, didn't know whether I could continue to play. Peter Day, who was the expert's uh, secretary, was uh, chief exec at, at Swindon, phoned me out of the blue and said, Glenn, we'd love you to be a manager. I said, look, Pete, I, I'm not going to be fit. I don't, you know, I'm, you're not... He said, no, we want you as manager. If you can play, then that's up to bonus, you. Bonus, yeah. Yeah, it's a bonus. So I said, well, I'm not sure what will happen there. So uh, we went up there. I, I had my, my very good uh, law friend, John Gorman, who was at Leighton Orient in the youth team, uh, coaching the youth team there. Uh, I wanted to bring him, went down and got him. And uh, we, we, we absolutely had a fabulous time there. The way we played was unique. You know, we went, nobody played three at the back. And I played three at the back. Um, the first eight games was, I couldn't play because it was the end of the season. We only had eight yeah. games to survive. Aussie yeah. had, had gone to Newcastle. And uh, the God's honest truth, me and John are going to the press conference. 
And I said, by the way, John, where are they in the league? <laughs> they were fourth from bottom. Two points from relegation with eight games to play. And I said, oh, my word. You know, so anyway, we, we had to get in there and, and, and settle them down. We went straight into playing at three at the back and uh, lost the first two games. I'm thinking, what have I done? Local paper getting on your case. Yeah, straight away. You know, so you had to learn quickly. But uh, no, I, I think once we got the players in that we wanted to, and uh, we had one unique thing. That, that not a lot of well, even teams in the world, I've got to say, we had four players that were naturally two-footed. Wow. I had myself at the back. I had a Ross McLaren, who was, who was a fantastic passer in the ball, and probably about 95% left foot. Mickey Hazard, and I brought Johnny Moncur in from Tottenham yep. on a steal from Terry. And uh, he still jokes about that on, on deadline day. Four players that could play naturally off both feet and the options that you get. And that's why we passed the ball so well and, uh, and played with three at the back, wing backs, a different system than anyone else was playing. And it was really fantastic and, and fascinating to see how we played. Eventually, we, we, uh, we nearly got up the first year, uh, missed out on the playoffs just by a point. And then we did it the second year, playing some wonderful football and... Uh, I really look back at that time and uh, and cherish it. I really did. Glenn, we know you're a successful manager because you went on to manage England. Um, not not many super brilliant players like yourself go on to be good managers for whatever reason. And of course, we're now seeing the the opposite. You know, Alex Ferguson wasn't a great player. Mourinho wasn't a great player. AVB wasn't a great player. Wenger wasn't a great player. Um, is it difficult to coach players when you've been at such a high technical level yourself? No, I think if you've got patience, the key really is for me is patience. And uh, I've been inclined to say, "Come on, I no, can do it. Why can't you?" No, no, you know, contrary to what some people have said. In actual fact, Arsene Wenger said something to me that I couldn't see in myself when I was at Monaco. He said, "Glenn, you you'll make a very good coach." And at the time, I wasn't thinking about going into management. He said, and the reason is, is because you've got time. He said, uh, when George Weir arrived, he was very naive in his tactical play. And, and I sort of helped him on the pitch because I had the experience at sure, the time. Of so I was telling him where to go defensively, what we wanted to do. You know, you want, and, and Arsene saw that. And he said, look, if you've got that attribute where you, you're naturally talented, but you've got that patience to work out things for people, he said, that will make you a really good coach, possibly a good manager. And I, I laughed and said, well, it's not something I'm really interested in doing, Arsene, if I'm honest. But he saw something early in me that I didn't know I had myself. And, and I think I took that with me. And that's that, that Swindon team and the Chelsea team, because it wasn't nowhere near the Chelsea squad as it is today when I went to Chelsea. Um, you had to have patience. You had to give them opportunities to make mistakes. But and then, and then in the end, you had to make a choice. Can they play the way you want to play? And at Chelsea, in the end, I had to abort the three at the back and play to our strengths. And so you have to be flexible. I mean, you, you were right in saying you got Swindon promoted and then the big, a bigger mm. club, with all due respect to Swindon Town, mm. came calling in the form of Chelsea. Um, tell us about your time there. I mean, as you say... Uh, Chelsea is now the champions of Europe, uh, mm. very likely very soon to be holding both the European trophies. They have infinite money, a fantastic oh. squad of technically gifted players. That wasn't the Chelsea you joined. <laughs> it certainly wasn't. I mean, I, I'd left Swindon to go to Chelsea and uh, it was a fantastic... I loved my time at Chelsea as well. I had three wonderful years. I'm very sorry years. to hear that. No, I really did because, um, I, you know, we were building something. I changed the philosophy off the pitch. I had my battles with Ken. Ken Bates was chairman at the time because I said the training ground was a disgrace at the time. It really was. I, I was trying to do a deal for Andy. Andy Townsend was my captain. He wanted to leave. Uh, and uh, Ron Atkinson and myself were doing a deal over over the phone and I was in the 
Oh, the only phone I had was a BT phone on the wall. God's honest truth. No office, nothing in the training ground. And the, and the apprentices were bringing in the, the kit in and out. And I'm doing a deal for 2.1 million at the time. And I couldn't believe it. I started chuckling. And I said, you're not going to believe this, Ron, where I'm actually. I said, oh, I'll have to phone you back this afternoon because I've got lads coming in and Pete's three It's not, it's not fair on anyone, is it? We're, we were in the dressing room of the staff room. It was incredible. There was no weight. There was no bath. There was absolutely nothing. And so I had to change the philosophy of that to draw better players to us eventually. And uh, Ken came round in the end and, and we ended up getting players there. In the end, we had Rude Hullet. Yeah. You know, we brought him on a free transfer, but to get Rude Hullet there and Dan, the, the, the reason we got Rude, I'm pretty sure, is one... The training ground, he's kept saying to me, Glenn, I want us to visit the training ground. I said, uh, they're doing building down there at the moment, Rude. We can't go down there. And obviously the bridge wasn't the bridge as it is now. That was, I think, uh, Matthew Harding's stand had been built. And that was the only one. So he could see, he could envisage the... But the... It was always, it's always been such a huge ground, Stamford Bridge. I mean, in those days Absolutely. it was, at least. Yeah. It was impressive anyway, even though it was a, a ramshackle at times. Well, it was. It was a gigantic football ground, wasn't it? It so? was, but it was miles from the pitch. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and uh, we had at least we had one stand that was being built. Uh, near the ground so but you know I, I was worried that Rude wouldn't sign in the end but then we slowly you know changed that philosophy Petrescu came Mark Hughes and, and you know I, I felt we were really successful in, in, in Europe as well we got into the Cup Winners Cup got to the semi-final yeah. I was loving my time at Chelsea I really was Matthew Harding came on board God bless him lovely guy and and, and Matthew had a lot of ideas for the club to take it forward. He was very excited. He was a Chelsea fan through and through. Literally, it was in his blood. And uh, he wanted to spend money, And but there was a slight political struggle there. Put it that way with Ken and Matthew. And I got sort of stuck in the middle of that to a certain degree. And Matthew being a lot younger and closer to my age, I think Ken saw it as... But it wasn't at all. I, I had no problems with Ken Bates. I got on very well with him. And he let you get on and manage the team, contrary to what people said when I went in there. He let me get on with everything on the football front. And, um, and England come knocking. Well, I was very happy to stay at Chelsea. I was contented. I felt we were going to build something there. You, you, you reached the cup final. Got, more, got hammered, of course, by Manchester yeah. United. Well, and that could happen to anybody. You've got done very well in Europe. And when England came, I suppose you can't turn it down, can you? That was the, that was the thing. It, it literally was. I was, what, 39, maybe 40? Um, and, you know, your country comes knocking... And you think, will I ever, ever really get another opportunity to do that? Did you talk I, to anyone about whether you should take the job? I, I, I talked to myself for, right. for, for probably two or three days when I got the approach from, uh, from the FA. And um, uh, I didn't tell anyone, not even my wife, uh, Anne, at the time. And uh, it was just, I've got to make this decision within myself. And I kept coming back to the fact... My word, you know, I've watched the World Cup as a kid in 66, I've, all the World Cups, and the, the, I've played for England, I've walked out of that tunnel playing. They're now offering me the job to manage them. You know, I had to pinch myself to a certain degree. So I know uh, over them three days what I wanted, but then I did speak to the family. I had young kids at the time, you know, we were only young. The, the pressure is on your family more than yourself. And everyone was brilliant. They just said, you've got to go for it. If that's what you want, you've got to do it. And uh, I took the job and it was it was difficult leaving Chelsea. I didn't want to go. I really didn't. And I was enjoying myself there. Well, let's talk about your career as an England player, if I may. I'm going to be. I'm going to start by, by, by laying my cards on the table. You've got 53 caps and a lot of people think that's a brilliant England career. Um, I would say it's 50 caps too short, and you were from from the moment you were good enough to play for England to the moment you retired, you were the centre of controversy. Mm. Um, 
you can tell me why. First of all, are you happy with, with your contribution as a, an England player? And secondly, why were why did they not build a team around the only well, world-class player we might have had at the time, with all due respect to Brian Robson? I think there's a couple of things there, and I'll give you a few examples. Yeah, it, it was the era that we... Um, first and foremost, 53, whatever it was, if it had been one, yeah. it's it's the most proudest thing you can do Absolutely. as a footballer. Well I don't care. And I think I think even to this modern day, they get a bit of stick about not playing, but most, most of them players, it's the proudest thing you can do. Um, and I'm proud of them, 53. Um, I think if Brian Clough had taken over, I think it would have been a 100 or so because I know he, he tried to pinch me from Tottenham when he was at Forest uh, a couple of times. Um, and I think he would have built the team around me. He's gone on record and said that. So it's about people's opinions at the time. Um, but I, there, there is a frustration about uh, the England, the way I had to play in England. I, I probably only played in a position where I felt... It, I was warranted where I was playing at Tottenham and, and, and other scenarios probably once. That was away at Hungary where I played just behind the front two and we, I scored, made two, we won 3-1 and then it didn't happen again. I, get, I got shoved out mainly on the, on the right-hand side playing as a right-sided player and it was very frustrating because I knew I wasn't a right-sided player completely in a four and that was the problem then. At the, at that, in that era, we were very rigid in the way that we played 4-4-2 every team played it and it was only really Tottenham that played with the diamond we changed our shape uh, in the early 80s and and um, Ipswich played it a little bit differently at times they played with, with one in the hole but there wasn't many teams it, we were so rigid in our in our thinking certainly at international level where we were outnumbered a lot in midfield and it but was there's more Glenn there's more I'm sorry I, I, I hear what you're saying there was, a, there was, and there may even be a residual mistrust of people who could play the ball oh. as technically as you did. Uh, I'll give you the other examples, mm. you know. Mm. Stan Bowles, yep. before you, half a dozen caps. Frank Worthington, a couple Tony, of Tony caps. Curry. Tony Curry, who we heard giving away that penalty mm. in the Cup Final in 82. Mm. Brilliant footballer, yeah. a handful, if that, Alan of Hudson. caps. Alan Hudson. Mm. And we could go on. Mm. And it almost, it, it's, I don't know if we're even getting out of it in the game in this country mm. now. But, I mean, Bobby Robson was a bit more trusting of you. We yeah. even heard Ozzy Dillis saying you were a good defender there. Mm. But because you didn't leave the pitch covered in mud mm. um, and with a tooth missing, they didn't trust you. Well, it was a strange scenario. Um, you're absolutely right in many ways. Um, it's difficult when you're talking about yourself. But I was a very... Well, try. I was a naturally gifted player. And I played, as I said, when Ozzy and Ricky arrived, it was hallelujah. I've got two guys that are on the same wavelength and that they're playing, you know, in the same vein and the, and the mindset. You know, I could play off both feet and all them things, but it was very frustrating to be to be to be kept out there. And, and there was a distrust. There was no doubt about it. All the, all the players that we spoke about, you know, the one and two caps that those guys had. Maybe looking back, I did well to get 53. Then you could you argue know, that in the, in the with, with, with being a creative footballer in a time yeah. when creative football wasn't, you know, it wasn't that the, the, the rules were different. You know, your Watfords and your, your Wimbledon's had a lot of success because of the rule. The goalie could hold the ball. The back four would squeeze. The back pass rule wasn't changed. Well, the, the back offside, pass rule... The was uh, level was off. Well, one of the things with the back pass rule, it's it opens the game out completely. You're playing in, in 70 yards of football at times, whereas they would squeeze up to the halfway line, the other team would defend... And that you'd play in a, in a 60 by 40, nine times out of 10 on mud heaps. You could have played on the tennis court, couldn't you? Yeah. The outfield players were yeah. on the sides of a tennis court. Exactly. So to they? create, to be a creative footballer in that era was very, very difficult. You were fighting against the tide. That's how I say it. But you pe people like Peter Beardsley, Chris Waddle, uh, Peter Barnes, you know, we, we uh, Peter Barnes, John Barnes, we had, we had wonderful, skillful players, but they were, they were mistrusted. Waddle. Yeah. They were mistrusted. They weren't, you know, the, 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 
in France, in Spain. It used to frustrate the life out of me. We, I remember playing against Spain uh, at Wembley. We lost 2-1. I managed to score, uh, but we lost 2 And we got absolutely trounced. They had Butragania up front, and they had five in midfield, Mikel, and they, we couldn't get near them in, their, in our sort of rigid 4-4-2. And oh, we were chasing the ball for 80% of the game. And, and suddenly, well, I'm thinking, well, we've got to change. But that comes from the management at the time, you know. And it was very difficult at that time. It really was. Thankfully, we've changed now. We have, we do play in different systems. We play with. I certainly changed it. That's the reason, the main reason, when I become manager, that I learnt from from chasing the ball and not having enough people when we had the ball in midfield to keep it. That's why I was adamant we were going to play five in midfield and keep our two up front. Yeah. Which was the most powerful. Which point is why you have thing. to go to three, then, don't you? Then you, you go to the yeah. three, and we had to work at that. You know a lot on, on, on the training ground with the certain players at the back. Funny mainly. how they're all doing in Italy now, aren't they? Three yeah. at the back, two up front. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, and I think it is a way that, that, that it does cause the new system, as I call the Barcelona system, if you like, mm-hmm. when you're playing one down the middle, two wide, and push the full-backs on. That does cause you a problem. Italy did it exceedingly well against Spain in the Euros in the first game of the uh, against them and uh, you know they, 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 they drew but they could have easily beaten them playing that three at the back and so you know when I I learned as a player that we were getting chased around but it was it was difficult times we were swimming against the tide if you were a creative player the, the, the real issue was then that during the absolute peak of your career um, you played one game for England, then missed two, or played mm. two games and missed yeah. one. Uh, you never really—I'm going to say this—you, I don't think you were ever entirely established in the England team until quite late on. Bobby Robson yeah. comes along, um, mm. and then I think under Bobby Robson, for whatever reason, I think you did thrive. I suppose the, mm. the peak of that would have been the World Cup in 1986, where finally you got into a tournament. You were allowed to play in the games. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing was, I was—I started, but again, I started even in that tournament. It, 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 I got pushed into the middle only because Brian Robson did his, his, his shoulder, his shoulder yeah. and Ray. Wilkins got sent off, and then I was me and Peter Reid played, and we he put me into the centre, and then then that was where I should have, I felt I should have been playing. But it was always a four four two four four two. And then we said right Peter Beardsley type rather than having the two players up top. So you go to four, would come off, four one one it, respectively. You get yeah. marked and then yeah. come off. You know you could always get marked by the centre halves, but that player would come off into the pocket and be spare, which I'd been playing for Tottenham at that time mm-hmm. and for Monaco in many ways. So it was it was an interesting you know it started to to evolve a little bit, but that. That was you know eighty six was was a very enjoyable tournament up until you know the, the getting well you played you played in the hand of God game yeah I did and uh, you know talk to us about the game and about Maradona well Maradona for me is the greatest player that I've ever played I played with him in Aussie's testimony when I played well, come on to him. that yeah so he was the greatest player in my opinion and Messi still got a bit to eclipse him in the sense of international football because Maradona won that World Cup virtually on his own but, I don't think anyone's done that no one's ever done that but, if, but Argentina got a pretty good squad of players if Argentina win the World Cup in Brazil they'll have to count they'll have to cancel football for the rest of the, for the next ten years. <laughs> But it's possible they could do it. They've got some good players. They've got some good players, but they've gone into many tournaments saying that. Sure they have. They've got very good teams, you know, and they haven't quite managed to do it. If Messi hits a purple patch, then that that might... That might actually happen, but uh, no. But for me, Maradona. I watched him when he was at Napoli. Uh, when I was in Monaco, he was he was what he did at Napoli. You know, Napoli were going nowhere. They were not a nothing team in Italy, really, in many respects. They won the UEFA Cup. They won the, the Scudetto. It was like incredible what he did just for that cup. The UEFA Cup. They won amazing what he did just really by going there. He was an absolute genius. And you know, the first goal was a little bit of him. You saw the character of him there. Where were you did. on the pitch, Dan? Can you I, see I it? I saw it. I saw it, and, and Dan, my guts just turned. I, I'm one of them men, I think it was Terry Fennick, were chasing the referee. And it was my guts were churning because I knew he couldn't really. 
change his decision. The linesman was running back, but I, I knew it was such an injustice. I saw him handball the ball. And I couldn't believe at such a big moment that, that this this decision was going against us. And I had all these emotions going through me that that's it, I had to it, I had to almost slap myself on the pitch to get myself going after two or three minutes because I felt it was such an injustice. I couldn't believe. I felt as if I was dreaming. If I'm uh, if I'm honest, and uh, the second goal, well, what, what he did there was pure genius. And I tell you why it was genius. People don't know that um, Messi scored a very similar goal for Barcelona. Uh, it's almost a replica. The difference was that was on a carpet. The Azteca was one of the greatest uh, stadiums you'd ever play in. It was a beautiful stadium, but the pitch was poor. It was gra long, long grass. Tufty, long grass. Yeah, yeah, really long, but rutty as well. Underneath, there, it was completely rutty. How he scored that goal, beating six players and keeping it under that control at that pace, I do not know. And that's why I, I tip my hat for him. And I always say at the moment, you know, he eclipses everyone, even Pele, in my in my opinion. And you mentioned it, and I, uh, sorry if you're not a Spurs fan, but I must say, uh, latterly, um, uh, Ozzy Ardila is still, still a fantastic player at the time, had his testimonial at Spurs, mm. and uh, a special guest player, I think played in all white that day, Spurs, mm, did. Uh, he was Diego Maradona. So in midfield, Spurs had Ozzy Ardila, Diego Maradona and Glenn Hoddle arguably the three most gifted footballers before Paul Gascoigne that I'd seen play at that stage. And I remember at one stage, were you trying to score a goal without the ball touching the ground? I seem to remember a move in midfield only volleying the ball to each other. It was, it was a fantastic, fascinating night. Inter Milan come to town. Liam played for... Liam Brady was at Inter. It was. And uh, I think Rummenigger was playing for Inter. It was, a fan, it was a fabulous game. It wasn't like a testimony. No. It was, Maradona was in town. It was absolutely jam-packed. Ozzy couldn't play the whole game. He had a cartilage problem, so he kicked off and, you know, unfortunately he couldn't have played. Then you and, and Maradona. And, and it was one. Chrissy Waddle played. It was it was a wonderful wonderful occasion. It really was, and and we couldn't speak, but uh, it, it was it was lovely to play with him. It was you know you could see the genius sort of just oozing out of him. I should I should make because uh, we we try and deal with the dark as well as the light here on mm. uh, on this um, on my sporting life. Um, your England career comes at the next tournament is the eighty eight tournament um, mm. in the European Championships, which everyone remembers because the Dutch side was so unbelievably brilliant. Mm. What's not remembered is that uh, and you played in all three games, bless you. England came away without a single point, I think I'm right in saying, and yeah, absolutely murdered. Yeah, no, it was it was a tough tournament. I remember um, I remember playing in the first one against, um, um, and then we we played. I, I was sub for I think um, Era. I think yeah. we played Republic of Ireland in the second game. Yeah. And uh, I think coming out of that as well, we, Gary Lineker had, had, had also had, uh, I think he had found out afterwards he was very ill, wasn't he? He had yellow jaundice or something. Yeah. He was playing with it. And, uh, yeah, it, it didn't go from the start. It didn't. It just didn't click. The team didn't click. And um, it was one of those you look back on, and if you had your time again, you'd say, right, we'd approach this completely different. But you obviously in football, you don't get that opportunity and that chance. Although it is fair to say that if you look at it carefully, the group contained um, the two finalists in the tournament. Mm. Holland and Russia were the best teams, and they yeah. have to be in the same group as England. Your last game for England um, was that game against the Soviet Union. I'll just repeat, uh, 53 caps for England, which we've been hearing about so far. Eight goals, including, I believe, that never-to-be-forgotten goal on your debut at half-volley against Bulgaria. Um, people should remember, of course, as well, that you took the England job when England were very successful. It wasn't like you, uh, you got the mm. opportunity to pick up the pieces after, because, uh, you know, Terry Venables had done ter terribly well at Euro 96. I mean, we were get one length of Gaza studs away from getting to the yeah. final, you could argue. No, that's true. Um, what was the state of play? And uh, Tell us about the qualifying tournament for the World Cup in 98. 
Well, um, it, and if you could build up, please, to a game that I was actually at and, and just think was one of the most... Uh, there are nil-nil draws and nil-nil mm. draws. That game in the Olympic Stadium. In where, Rome, yeah. But tell me about the qualifying, because mm. England's group was tough. Moldova, Georgia, Poland, Italy and England. You know, you, mm. wouldn't, want the, you wouldn't want to get that draw today. No, no, you wouldn't. But, um, uh, yes, it was, a, it, was a, it was an unusual time to hand over because Terry knew he was going. We had, a double, we had a press conference before the tournament started together, which was really weird. I went down to watch training once. And, and meet some of the lads, which I felt a little bit out. You know, it was a friendly game, I think, against the Czech they had, and that was a strange tonight. So it wasn't an easy sort of handover, if you like, uh, a bit unique. I don't think it had been done before. But we done, we did the best, and obviously, uh, I, I wanted Terry and the England team to win the tournament, and I, sure. I, I had a chance of studying them, watched every game, obviously, and and then was 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 thinking about what I needed to do. Playing in the famous Christmas tree, inverted uh, Christmas tree. Yeah, it was different styles of, of play that they played in that. So the good yeah. thing was that we had some good players and I had a I had an eye on two players that I knew I was going to bring in which was David Beckham and, and Paul Scholes two young players at that time but I knew that I would be bringing well, them straight looking in. back at it now of course mm. it's a no-brainer but at the time I suppose they were still making their way yeah oh they were just young men they're in yeah. the under 21s I don't think yeah. Scholes was even in you know I think David Beckham was I, I went down to watch David play not that I needed to watch him play down in Toulon uh, in that summer so um, I knew I had them I had Rio Ferdinand it was even younger than that and there was a young group of players that I was quite excited about that I could add to what Terry had, uh, had already put in there and I felt that you know very excited at what we could do with that with the way that I wanted to play so it was a tough it was a tough league I was I was very um, uh, scratching my head as to how the FA allowed us to have Italy away in the last game I must say yeah that didn't smack. That <laughs> wasn't too clever, in my opinion. Well, no, they're two big uh, nations. They could say, we'll play this in the yeah, middle of the tournament. We'll both have a nice, easy game at the end and let the cards fall where me, they may. Believe me, that's the norm. And uh, yeah. it was very difficult. Because to... those negotiations are very political, uh -huh. aren't they? But, uh, and, and the big nations normally get their way. Yeah. And you end up going to Rome needing to, to avoid defeat. Shocker. That, that was one. And we tripped up at home against them. They beat us, uh, I think, Gianfranco Zola scored. Underneath, and, the, the only, I think the only, the only game mm. that, um, mm. that Walker played in goal for England, I guess. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Dave Seaman was uh, was injured at the time. Yeah. And, um, and Ian Moore came in. Yeah, yeah come, the ball comes off the bottom. Sol Campbell's stunts. I right. remember. And he takes yeah. it past the goalkeeper, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it reminds me of that goal that uh, Poland scored when we didn't qualify back in seventy, whenever it was. You yeah, know, seventy three, seventy four. Yeah. Went under Peter Shilton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was. It was very much like that. Um, but no, uh, it, it, it was a fascinating time for me because I knew I wanted to uh, what I wanted to do, but it was it, we had to win. You know, when you take over the England job. You knew it was result orientated. You had to play. You know, I wanted to play good football. I learned from from what happened as me as a player in there, and I thought, no, I need to flood the midfield. And I had two players that I felt w w could really come in and strengthen it, even though they were young, Scholes and Beckham. So it was an exciting time for me. And uh, the the game in Rome was was epitomised the way we play. I thought the, the the players played extremely well. We were out without. Alan Shearer was the only one who wasn't available really of our main and I put Ian Wright up front mm -hmm. and we played a really cute system that we played against Georgia away and won 2-0 so the players were very well versed with Gazza and Teddy Sheridan just playing behind Wrighty and then Ince and Batiste you know sort of more solid in that and, position and later on the, the Italy manager moaning about the three towers at the back yeah we had three at the back the three towers yeah they, they found it difficult to get by yeah. in the end and it was a wonderful team performance it really was I remember one incident though which was <laughs> it was incredibly funny but incredibly um, high powered 
Paul Ince gets cut. I don't know if people remember this, and well, of it's the biggest. I mean, seventeen games they'd won there, not even drawn. They were their their record in that stadium was was. Unbelievable. And it's a fabulous stadium as well. Oh, I really fabulous. like it because it's kind of buried in the ground, yeah. isn't it? Well, the dressing rooms are eternity away. They're, they're right around the other side. They lose the key, so they can't find the key. Ha ha. Yeah. So, Paul, it's seven minutes. I'm looking down the tunnel. Seven minutes. Well, hang is on. Gone. I'm on the terrace looking at you. Why don't you bring a substitute <laughs> exactly. on? Exactly. <laughs> but I knew that Paul was so important, and that you got Zola taking free kicks and corners. We're down to ten. I'm thinking, I can see it. They, we concede and we go out. I'm going to get absolutely slaughtered here. Anyway, I'm, I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on for Paul. Where's the doctor? You know. So anyway, I turn around. Paul arrives up the stairs. Where have you been, Doc? What's going on? You know, blah blah blah. I said, get him on the pitch. Get him on the pitch. So he's got a great big bandage, white bandage, right round his head, yeah. where he's where the doc's you know stitched him up, put the bandage on. Anyway, he's, he's waiting to go on. He comes on. Gaza comes running across. Paul Gaza comes running across. Is it? Where are Yinsi? You look like a pint of Guinness. In the middle of the most important game of the unbelievable... And we, we and the bench, myself included, and the bench are in hysterics. And Maldini, the manager, and their bench are looking at us as if crazy English. And I think even there, they knew how, they saw how relaxed we were. The lads on the pitch who heard it were in hysterics. And I tell you, it, it showed you how relaxed and, and how focused in a... In a way, we were going to, win, you know, get through that game, and it was just such a funny, funny moment in such a, an intense moment as well. Well, it took us, of course, into the uh, finals of the World Cup. Um, they never be forgotten uh, game against Argentina. But let's before we get on to that and share memories of it, um, let's talk to somebody who uh, was been with you all through your playing. Uh, well, lastly, in your playing, but of course, all through your managerial career. It's as you described him earlier on, your friend and lieutenant, uh, John Gorman. Good evening, John. Hiya, Danny. Hiya, Glenn. Hello, John. You okay, mate? Yeah, I'm just sitting with Les down in Carlisle. I'm going to wait Scotland, I'm going to Scotland. Ah, lovely. Yeah. John, tell us about being a, about working with Glenn Hoddle when he was a manager. Well, I've just been listening to. <laughs> he's got a better memory than me. <laughs> all that well, you wouldn't forget that, would you? Let's be honest. <laughs> he is a bit younger, yeah. Um, oh, he's a fantastic manager, and um, could have been and would have been if he'd been given much more time. The best um, manager for England because we were, as Glenn been talking about, I've not heard all the show, um, but obviously he's, um, you know, we were on a roll really and it was the style of football that we played and um, even that night, I, I don't know if Glenn's come on to you, but after the game the Italians were saying that um, you know they couldn't believe the style of football, that that's the way that the Italians used to play, you know, when we played that night in Rome, you know, um, the, the, the great style that Glenn Produced and um, I believed in um, obviously exactly the same, and um, I think it could have gone on and on. But I think John, if you remember, what helped us to to, to get that result and play in that confident way is uh, just prior to that. At the end of the uh, we, we played in the Tournoi and we we beat Italy two 0 playing a similar system. Do you remember? Yeah, and and the Tournoi in France it was excellent. Yeah, yeah it was, it was and excellent. I think that had a lot to do with with us having that confidence to go yeah. in there and get that result because we did outplay them in that game. Well, I think I've given them as well, Glenn, because my memory is actually starting to trigger again. Um, we, we, when we went over to Rome before, we just had such a relaxed week. Can you remember the laughs and things? And yeah. even to be fair to Gaza, he he he, he, he was him that told us about that place we trained at and everything. And yeah. I mean, you went over earlier, didn't we? And and checked out the stadium and everything. Remember, I remember being in the stadium and talking to you on the phone and. And the key also, John, was was also, uh, mate, was was if you remember, Alan Shearer, we knew was injured, but everyone we asked to go to the squad came to the squad. Normally, you had dropouts through injury yeah. that weekend. We were lucky like that. We we got the squad, the team that we wanted to to, to prepare. 
Guys, that, that qualified you for the World Cup um, in 98. Um, let's forget about the group stages. A, a victory against Tunisia, a defeat against Romania, and then a victory against Colombia. Um, the game against Argentina in, in, in round two, I mean, it's one of the ones that's, that's absolutely imprinted on the mind of anybody who saw it. Because quite apart from David Beckham sending off and all the rest of it, it was an astonishingly good game of football, I thought. What are your, mem- what are your memories, Glenn, of that game? Well, I think you've summed it up pretty well. I mean, it was very emotional. I think uh, the way the players played with 10 men for a long, long time was quite incredible. It really was. I mean, for me, for the, to this day, David should never have been sent off. It was a booking. It was a bookable yeah, offence. And, and uh, it's live. <laughs> you know, and I think uh, you know the, the way we played and held out for so long. And Michael Owen's goal. Well, you know, he stamped. He just sort of that was in him announcing himself to the world, wasn't it? It was a, such a wonderful moment for him personally. Saul Campbell's goal. I mean, you know, if, if yeah. the referee was it, the, was it Kim Muller Nielsen? Was he about six foot six? The referee. What? He was looking down. If he'd been a small man, he wouldn't have seen the the, the, the hand on someone's shoulder. No, that he saw. I mean, well, John, John, you you were there as well on the bench when we were celebrating, mm. weren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even to this day, I still can't believe it wasn't a goal, like, you know, because we were up on the side and so were, most of the players were off the touchline and um, were, yeah. we were shouting, get back, get back. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, they were all, it was only Gary Neville, really, that was um, alive to it and um, alert and, and, and David Seaman, really, because he broke up the other end and, and they could have scored. Yeah, I think Gary just got a toe to put it out yeah. for a corner. We had five players celebrating. Celebrating. Yeah. And yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you've gone from one extreme to the other. Incredible. You know, um, sorry, it was the worst day for you, but I was actually getting ready to present a TV show immediately after. And I must I can remember distinctly, they scored first, then England were ahead, then they equalised, then Beckham got sent off, then Campbell's goal, then the penalties. I must have rewritten the front of that show 15 <laughs> times in the course of that two and a half hours. I've got to be honest, because I didn't know what mood I'd be presenting to the nation. <laughs> Listen, John, thank you very much for giving us your recollection of some, some of the time working with Glenn Hoddle. So sorry that we have to cut it so short. I think we, we have to talk about how the way you left England. Um, I think it's, you know, whatever one thinks about the justice, it was certainly an extraordinary um, se- sequence of events um, where mm. you did an interview, um, what you said was interpreted, but it ended up with the Prime Minister having his son. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was, it was very, very sad. It always, that's always the word I use because, um, you know, it, it wasn't right with what, what happened. Um, the things that they said weren't what I quoted and unfortunately uh, uh, it snowballed after the Prime Minister turned around and said well if he has said that and it was about the disabled being Mm. punished and that's never been my belief I've never said that it's not a punishment I do believe in reincarnation Mm -hmm. I've gone on record and said that before the World Cup but that's a personal choice but it's uh, you have that choice to come back that actual person, I believe, has that choice to come back. It's not a punishment. And that's why I tried to uh, say to the reporter time and time again, but he was on another agenda, I feel. And in the end, you know, when the FA didn't back me on that, that was the problem. That's when I thought, well, no, actually, I, do I really want to work for people that haven't shown me the, you know, the sincerity and the strength behind me? In the end, I thought, well, no, I, I won't continue. But, you know, looking back, it's uh, I can look back and my, my win percentage on the football front is what I was in was more important to me than anything um you know 60 percent, i think it is, it is win percentage up there with with the best so i'm very proud of that and the way we played and uh, the, the, the thing that really really frustrates me and even to this day is that i alluded to maybe i felt in 98 we may have had a chance of winning the world cup we had a good enough squad who knows um but i felt with the likes of beckham 
Scholes, Ferdinand, I had a fantastic role for him in the Michael three. Michael Owen was still and Michael, Michael Owen. Owen, yeah. With those young youngsters, I felt with the mixture of the Adams and the experience that we had with the, with the, the Gazers and all, all them players who still had a, a massive com- contribution, I felt we had a great chance of, of, of pro- producing a team that could go and win the Euros in, in 2000. Okay, the campaign didn't start that well, but for me, that's that was that was the biggest frustration out of it, and it still frustrates me now. There's still a f- hole in me that feels there's an unfinished business there, and that will never go away. And it was just a sad, sad moment in my life um, because I knew that wasn't what I said. It's not my belief. It never has been. But in this day and age, sometimes you know it's got worse. I've got to say, from 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 my era, uh, you can't say anything nowadays. It really, you know, no, it, I, it can I, get turned easily, and and, well, and the rest is. It's is very very strange, isn't it? That um, what people talk about as political correctness, mm. which is about apparently opposing intolerance, has, in my opinion, led to more intolerance. People are intolerant of each other's views now. <laughs> You're not allowed to say, um, mm. you know, of course there are things you don't want to no, say because they are either illegal or they're completely crass of and course. wrong. Mm. Um, but and you don't want to hear those views necessarily. But most people should be entitled to say what they want without people turning it into such a circus. Well. We say there's a freedom of speech, but there is needs there? to be. Is there? Well, there needs you know, to be, and that, because because it, it, you, if you head, if you head down the other road, but the, even if the thing is, what, what always bugged me is if I had said that, if that's what I was said, and that was my belief, then I'd have you know no no leg to stand on. But that wasn't what I said, and it's never been my belief. So at the end of the day, that's what hurt. And then when you when you're backers, I think well, okay, that's not a problem. The FA will sit, you know, they'll see through that, and and I explained the situation, but they didn't back me, and that was when I thought, right, OK, I don't want to work for people that are not strong enough to uh, to deal with this. You came back into management, um, first at Southampton but I, and, and latterly at Wolves, but in between you had a spell at Spurs, and I want to talk about that mm. because clearly um, you were a legend there. And oddly enough, a bit like Aussie Ardealers, it wasn't necessarily a very successful time, um, but it hasn't affected your relationship with the Spurs crowd mm. at all. They still see you no. as hoddle, hoddle, uh, uh, born as the king of White Hart Lane and all the rest of it. I won't do the singing. Um, <laughs> you, you've already learned not to do singing if you can't. Um, but, I mean, you, you, you inherited Spurs at a, a problematic time. They didn't have any money, mm. did they? And you were, my recollection of the team that you tried to build was it we were relying a bit on old players and, mm. and, and square pegs in round holes. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, um, listen, I was, again, I was happy at the club. I was happy at Southampton. I turned Spurs down. They come knocking, and I turned Spurs down just previously. Previously, when I went to Chelsea, I had the opportunity to go and with Alan Sugar, and at the very last moments, they came round my house and tried to persuade me to go to Spurs. And believe it or not, my agent, my family, everyone couldn't believe I'd given my word to Chelsea, and that was me. I, I, I said I'm going to go, although it was tempting. So when Spurs came round again, I thought, ah, oh, this opportunity, I've got to take it. I was very happy at Southampton; things were going great. But I had just had to, to take it. I felt it was the right time. Um, it was probably the wrong time, actually, but I didn't know that. Looking in crystal ball, you'd have said, no, not this time. It might come round again. Um, but politically, I was probably, it was the most difficult club I'd been politically. I've got to say that. It was behind the scenes, wasn't easy. It was the place where I should have been the most happiest. And I, I was, uh, it wasn't. And I don't think, you know, I didn't get quite the backing. Some of the players I wanted to go for, um, didn't develop that was blocked before we even got them um and it, and it was very frustrating we didn't have the greatest of uh, of squads to inherit yeah we didn't have the money certainly the money that that was came along five or six years after i was manager there but we did you know we did okay we we, we played the football the way that i wanted them to play we got to a league cup final we lost in the final that was that was a a big downer 
um, in many ways. But uh, we never, I never really felt that we could build on the team or the players that we had. It wasn't a, there wasn't a building process. I couldn't see a vision for a building process with the budget that we had, and it was yeah. frustrating. We lost, we lost Sol Campbell as well. You know, that was a big, big chunk of my vision. I'd, I'd had him, you know, as an England player. I knew what he could achieve and do. He changed his mind, and everyone's allowed to do that. And I respect so. I've, I've got a lot of time for so. He's a fantastic player mm-hmm. and a good human being. Um, but at the time, it left us in the lurch a little bit. Let's put it that way. So there was very, you know, there's lots of obstacles. And the place where I thought, you know, it was my childhood dream to manage Tottenham, and where I should be. It, 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 the timing wasn't right and sometimes in life that happens but I adore the club I adore the fans and every time everywhere I go every time I go to Tottenham you know I just you know I feel the same that, that feeling that they've got for me it's, a, it's a lovely time to go absolutely there. well if if that was disappointing and the end of your England career was controversial I think it's fair to say that they're only they're only work it's only but something mm. worse has happened to you in your life Dan I think it's fair to say we talked earlier on about how close your family were and your brother who's nine years younger than you carl Mm. um not so long ago but you know at 40 years of age died um yeah that's that's what we don't expect the young people to die and so it's all no tell us what happened it was absolutely dreadful uh it's just it was the shock we'd lost my dad two days after the league cup final we'd lost actually um but my dad passed away and that was horrendous and, and very difficult time for the family. Yeah, yeah that was a very very difficult time but then you know to lose a younger brother of nine years i was so close to carl I saw him growing up playing football in the garden with him as a, as a youngster seeing his uh you know I, I was distraught the day that he was released from tottenham i remember peter shreves you know saying look we're gonna pulling me in first and say look we're gonna have to release your brother he, he gave me that and i just remember crying my eyes out and uh and but the, you know carl i was a part of helping carl you know become a footballer and he made it himself um and obviously the feeling for the family and my mum you know after losing dad and uh, and my brother so young the shock was immense. I just cannot believe. I still scratch my head to these days, Dan, and think, you know, I, I expect him to walk through the door. And because uh, he had a fantastic, anyone that knew Carl, he had the most fantastic sense of humour. <laughs> anyone out there listening who knows him will be laughing because he, he made people laugh. He was such a funny guy and, he, and we miss him immensely. And uh, but you know I love him and I believe that he's looking down on us and uh, we'll meet up again one day. I'm I'm 100% sure of that. And that's where your beliefs, Glenn, which have got you into trouble in some ways, <laughs> must be a comfort to you now. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know that that's something that uh, gives you such a strength that, that I do believe there's an afterlife. I do think we're here for for different reasons and tests and and uh, spiritually, and that is the major reason. This is this is you know we're here to learn from all these experiences. It was my brother's time to go. For whatever reason, I can't work that out at the moment. But maybe after after I pass over, we'll have that conversation. I'm pretty, well, I'm 100% sure we will. And I'll understand it a lot more. But, uh, you know, you feel for the family and people around me as well. You know, my mum's gone through a, a, a difficult time. And, um, you know, I'm there for her. And, uh, and that's the main thing. I see your, of course, I, I see your uh, wavy hair and uh, and pink jumpers on the uh, on the television all the time. Obviously, you're very much in demand as a pundit. What else are you doing with your time these days? Well, actually, I'm very very busy. Uh, I'm putting a, a sports website together, internet website that we've been working on for six months. That'll be launching at the end of end of May. We've got What's it going to be called? It's going to be called ZoogleSport.com. Um, but we haven't, we're not launched it yet. So at the moment, this moment in time, it's uh, under wraps. Yeah, under wraps. And we've another exciting uh, business opportunity is F30. We've we've had one one um, tournament uh, 
uh, a couple of years ago for Legends. So it's 15 minutes each way, and um, I come up with some funky new rules uh, that, that sort of excite it, make it exciting. Well, we're seeing if we can do, you know, go around the, the country doing some tours and some tournaments, maybe even making it a league. And uh, we have got one eye on possibility, uh, I think would be a great idea, is to, is to have a World Cup, a Legends World Cup, in this country before the World Cup next year, so there's a lot of a uh, lot of work I'm doing behind, still still touching in football. But I, um, I could I could have a word with you here with some mm. of the legends I work with at Talk Sport, but they, one of the rules better be that you're allowed to drink during the game, otherwise <laughs> it's not going to work out for most of them. <laughs> Alvin Martin still fit, but the rest of them I wouldn't. I no, wouldn't back well, them at all. I, we saw them at Craven Cottage. We had Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Spurs. Uh, sorry, Fulham and uh, Spurs, and and. Uh, it was great to see Zola play again and Hasselbank. You know, we got them players back out there playing. And and for me, if but Zola, could... but Zola d- didn't really what wasn't about pace anyway. I presume he's still no. every bit as good it a was, player as he was, ever was. It was beautiful to watch, and he, they loved it. They loved it. It was fourteen thousand people there. So if we can do that and also give extend their careers to a certain degree, I think there's there's some real legs in making it a league. Um, you know, other sports, tennis and golf, I looked at and thought, well, they continue their careers. Can we do this in football? And if you make the rules, you, have to find a way you can of doing go on, it, yeah. and on and off as substitutes. You can have yeah. a breather and come on and off. So we've got rolling subs, 15 minutes each way, and we're, we're working hard to try and get that. There's a few other businesses as well, but I enjoyed doing my academy. That's frozen now. That's sort of finishing. Uh, that was exciting and uh, really worthwhile doing. And, um, and and that was that was something that was you know something I wanted to do and was really uh, excited me and uh, to get about 15, 16 players back was well worth it because we give them a second chance to get them back. Absolutely. Mm. Well, um, you know you're you're obviously a guy Glenn who thinks about himself and thinks about the world. Mm. Um, what we you know in the last few seconds of the program now, hopefully um, you'll have a, a many many more years ahead of you. Um, what, what do you hope for yourself in the, in, in the future, Glenn? Well, I think uh, I've, I've achieved a lot. I've achieved a lot in in, uh, in in football terms and in life. I just want to be happy. That's the main thing. Um, I'm never going to say I'm not ever going to go back into football. I was going to say, yeah. I'm never going to say that's never. But at the moment, I'm, I'm quite always content. plugging you for jobs on here. <laughs> you know, that's something I feel I've got that bur- you know that burning ambition still inside me. But sure. there's some projects that I've wanted to do. The academy was one. And there's a few other things that I would like. I got my eye on a longer-term thing for younger footballers to change a generation of footballers. Uh, my bugbear is the lack of two-footed players, and I'm, I'm working on something that could be really exciting that might even leave, leave a legacy uh, in the future, and that, that's something I, I really want to want to achieve. You've been listening to an archive edition of Talk Sports My Sporting Life with Danny Kelly. Thanks for listening. And make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Acast and Spotify for more top talk sport content. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.